And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, force five. Hello and welcome to the Force 5 Podcast. As always, I'm your host, X-Video Store Clerk, wannabe screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. The episode you're about to hear is the product of one half of a three and a half hour recording session with Eric Peacock from the Soundtracker Podcast, as we recorded for both his show and this show in one night. The show we recorded for his podcast centers around the soundtrack for Cruel Intentions, And I think it turned out really good. So I do urge you when you get done with this episode, please go and check Soundtracker out. I will have a link in the show notes for you. Soundtracks are one of those time period relics that I have really fond memories of. And we really don't get soundtracks anymore. Uh, I remember the second car I ever had was this manual 2000 Ford Escort. And it was the first time I had a car with a CD player. And the first CD I bought with that car was the soundtrack to Gone in 60 Seconds. And I thought I was badass shifting gears in that ride. It may as well have been Eleanor, if Eleanor had a top speed of like 85 miles an hour and cost 12 grand. Hell, I owned soundtracks for films that I have never seen. I remember I had the Players Club soundtrack, courtesy of the the Ice Cube song on there, had to get that. I got the hookup, the Master P movie which I have never seen and uh, don't have any desire to. But uh, yeah, anyway, the topic Eric chose today, top five soundtrack one-hit wonders, one that was both hard as fuck to research and also a lot of fun. We're going to get to that here in a minute, but first up, last week's topic, top five terrifying TV shows with Patrick Young and Powell Robinson. We had a lot of different episodes thrown our way as ones that missed the list, and I'm just going to rattle off some of the shows that I heard mentioned. We had Alfred Hitchcock Presents mentioned. We had, of course, the different iterations of The Twilight Zone. Got told that we missed out on a bunch of those episodes. Black Mirror came up, which I think is an excellent show, and really got dragged over the coals for not mentioning Are You Afraid of the Dark or Goosebumps? So if you're a fan of those shows, I apologize that we didn't choose them. Uh, I've also gotten a couple of messages about my best of the year list. Are you going to have a top five? What's that going to look like? Is it, Are you going to put some type of retrospective out for the end of 2021? Yes, I do plan on doing a top five of 2021. I am figuring out both how to do it, like the vehicle in which to get it to you, and uh, the structure of that, plus there are some movies that I just haven't had a chance to see yet that I need to see before I put together that list to be fair to those directors that uh, I want to support their work. Licorice Pizza is one of those. haven't seen that one yet. The Cohen movie, Ethan Cohen, Joel Cohen, Joel Cohen, whatever Cohen's still making movies. Uh, the Tragedy of Macbeth, I do want to see that too. So I'm, I'm going to see those. French Dispatch is another one I need to see. After I see those movies, I will be putting together a best of 2021, and it will probably come out as, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe its own episode, maybe a bonus episode. I don't know. We'll see. But I will put one together. Anyway, let's talk about this week's featured review for Tiger Claws. Tiger Claws. For those few masters... It's a skill of combat. For one man, it's a weapon of murder 
this killer is a highly trained martial artist. He did that with a sword? No. His hand. It's Tiger Claws. The city is being torn apart. There must be 10,000 martial artists in New York alone. And only two cops. Hit in the air! Can stop the frenzy. I want you two working together. Hey, I'm the one that's supposed to be calling the shots. It is a mystery. I'm looking for a master that teaches Tiger. That will lead to a forbidden world. Defend yourself. Martial arts masters are showing up dead, their insides crushed, but their bodies unscathed aside from a scratch on the face. Linda and Tarek, two cops who know martial arts, take to the streets to find the person responsible. Welcome to early 90s New York City, where people are dressed like they actually live in Los Angeles and good police work is virtually non-existent. The film starts with Linda, played by Cynthia Rothrock, and her partner credited on IMDb only as Linda's partner trying to bust a rapist. This consists of tossing a wig on Rothrock and walking around until some chop-licking psychopath follows her and tries something. In real life, this would seem about as easy as finding a fart in a jacuzzi, but everything goes according to plan. Linda walking slowly, the rapist tailing behind just waiting for his moment to pounce, and her partner, maybe 15 feet back, rigidly running around like a wet cat that just escaped from a bathtub with his badge dangling from his neck. Hidden in plain sight, indeed. His role in all this, of course, is to tail and make sure that she's alright. He's keeping an eye on his partner until he takes his eyes off of her for a split second to catcall a passerby, letting us know that not only is he a piece of shit partner, he's just a piece of shit in general. In the moment he checks out somebody's butt, both Linda and the rapist are gone. Now, had this been real life, they couldn't have gone far. It was like six seconds, but as far as this partner is concerned, they walked into an alternate fucking dimension because they are gone. The smart thing to do if you're Rothrock is to pause in the middle of the crowded sidewalk or walk into one of the many stores she passes by. I mean, this was the 90s after all, a time when people might help a woman being assaulted, a time before everyone would just pull their phone out to record it. Of course, she does the dumbest thing she could do, which is walk down a vacant alleyway only to smack the guy up once he makes a move, dropping him just in time for Linda's partner to come in and cuff the limp noodle. Linda coerces her way into investigating the murder of martial arts masters, along with Tarek, a displaced police officer involved in another police work fuck-up that left a bunch of bad guys dead and some other cops whining. Turns out Tarek is involved in the martial arts world, and when one of his friends ends up dead, he gets so mad that he destroys a sign at a park with his bare hands. And I'd say that's pretty mad. He gets in undercover at a tiger-style kung fu school, and from there, it's only a matter of time before the bad guy is revealed. In fact, he's revealed pretty early on. It's Bolo Young, and he was buff as hell. An absolute Chinese unit who can crush apples with his bare hands and vanish when it's convenient for the plot. The only other real recurring characters are two bumbling idiot cops who literally just get in the way and bungle things up whenever they're around. Released now, I feel like this movie would get a PG-13 rating. There's no nudity, no over-the-top violence, not much swearing, and the fight scenes were pretty tame and bloodless, which I will admit was a little disappointing. Each encounter is filled to the gills with cutaways and alternate takes, so it was hard to appreciate the skill of a martial arts master like Cynthia Rothrock. Her skills have been better showcased in so many other films, and she's honestly not even the main focal point here. She gets sidelined for a lot of the movie, which I think is to its detriment. Even the final fight between Tarek and the big slab of broccoli beefcake Bolo is disappointing, as both men face off in a room full of the scariest movie prop known to man, empty cardboard boxes. 
The sound effects sure play things up though, with Shaw Brothers-like sounds whooshing and zipping all over the place as our heroes move around with the urgency of Jim Halpert trying to save Michael Scott from falling into the koi pond. As a movie, Tiger Claws is alright. It falls into the unfortunate category of definitely not being a good movie, but not being bad enough or goofy enough to love in that regard. As I mentioned, there are better showcases for Rothrock, and it's hard to feel like you're on the case with anyone in this film, because everybody's just so bad at the basics of police work, which is a shame because that's what most of this film is. I look at films like this and wonder if I could rewrite them for a modern audience, but even the setup is clunky and isn't really that interesting. For Tiger Claws to be more interesting, you'd need Bolo to seem more formidable. Less crushing apples, more crushing skulls. Show us how dangerous that character was, because he was built like a brick shithouse and he could have felt so much more threatening. Hardly the man who could be toppled by a few empty Tide boxes. The best part about drinking scotch is being able to enjoy movies like Tiger Claws. The worst part, aside from making really stupid decisions, the taste, a liver that hates you, and all the other consequences, is of course, the smell. And that's where today's sponsor, Hennigan's, comes in. What makes a good scotch? The ingredients? The color? The cask? The region? I'm actually asking because honestly I have no clue, but I just took three shots of Hennigan's and you can't smell it on me. You can walk around drunk all day long. No smell, no tell. Hennigan's, damn good scotch. And because it's odorless, it'll be our little secret. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Today, I'm here with Eric Peacock. He's from the Sound Tracker Podcast. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming on. I'm super excited to have you and a tough topic, which we'll get to in a second. We're also going to talk a little bit more here about Sound Tracker in a second. But I like to ask this of all my guests to kind of give my audience a glimpse into who you are and what some of your tastes are. So what are some of your favorite movies of all time, discounting the soundtracks, but just your favorite movies of all time. Okay, so I can tell you my favorite movie of all time is George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. That's like a no-brainer. No questions asked. That is my favorite movie of all time. Awesome. But my taste in movies run all over the place. You know, um, I count things like Big Lebowski and Carnival of Souls. And I'm a big horror guy. At the end of the day, I'm a huge horror fan. So uh, Session 9, I am I mean, I love movies. I'm a sucker for movies like Jaws. And I, I, I really am one of those people who can watch like, I'm not somebody who like, oh, that blockbuster movie. I don't want to, you know, I, I, if a movie's fun, that's like the worst thing a movie could be to me is boring. <laughs> like <Yeah>. that's, <laughs> And I don't mean like there's plenty of slow burn movies that I love. You know, huge difference. And you know this. And I'm sure anyone listening to this knows this. A huge difference between like a slow burn and boring. but um. I'm so entrenched recently in these 90s movies that that's kind of become like my new thing is like if it's from the 90s. Hey, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about those 90s movies because you run the Soundtracker podcast. So for those uh, in my audience who have never heard of Soundtracker, pitch it to us. What's it about? In the 90s, especially. And I don't this the show doesn't just cover the 90s, but The 90s would be what I considered the boom era. And I'm sure anybody listening to this who is of a certain age is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But pretty much every movie that came out in the theaters had a soundtrack album. You could literally go watch a movie, three people in the theater with you, and then walk around the corner to Sam Goody and find a soundtrack (laughs) album for it. And you could find some real gems on these things. And so I, I just kind of had this idea one day, like, I was listening to Judgment Night and um, 
I was like, nobody, I don't think anybody's done a podcast like this. It turns out I was wrong. There are a couple of other ones that not in the same vein that I do it, but there are a couple of other sort of soundtrack centric podcasts. There's just so much ground there because I did, I had to do manual research for this podcast (laughs) and it was literally me going through every year between 1990 and 2010, every movie made in the U S and I, I, I just went with us just because I knew it was going to be such a huge list anyways. And, um, between 1990 and 2010, I ended up with like 1,786 movies that had soundtracks. Jesus. I, and the thing is, I would say that's a 97% thorough list. I'm sure there's a couple things that I missed in there. It was just such a fertile time for movie soundtracks. And the thing about soundtracks is there are artists, uh, High Till I Die by Tupac on the Sunset Park soundtrack. For years, the only place you could find that song or Pain from Above the Rim by Tupac. That's actually my favorite Tupac song of all time. And this is such a 90s thing. You could only find Pain by Tupac on the Above the Rim soundtrack as a bonus track on the cassette, not on the CD. Um, Yeah. And, you know, now as far as Tupac goes at this point, they've pretty much like put everything he's made on various collections. So you could find those songs more easily now. But there were years for like certain songs by certain artists. The only place you could find them available was on soundtrack albums. So. I'm just exploring that and it's it's equal parts discussion on the film itself and the soundtrack and how they go together. I do the top 10 movies, top 10 albums for each respective release to show kind of what the landscape was like. And uh, yeah, it's just it's been a blast so far. And uh, Jason, Jason was just on doing Cruel Intentions with me. So that was a great time. Yeah, the soundtracks are really such a relic from that time period, because now you go and watch a movie and you hear a song that you really like, you just go and put it on your streaming playlist from Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. Back then, you had to buy the album. And I I know it's probably the same for you. You probably have certain soundtracks where you only want to listen to one song, but you couldn't just buy a 99 cent single. You had to buy that $16, $17 soundtrack to get it. Oh, for sure. There's tons of them that I had that like I probably only listened to three or four songs on. With that said, there are tons that like I would count among some of my favorite discs that I bought back in the day. Yeah, I definitely I definitely don't have as many soundtracks as you. How many how many do you estimate that you have owned over the years? Oh, it's it's definitely I would say probably 100 plus that I owned over the years. (laughs) As far as well, because I used to look when I was in high school, I worked, I started working in seventh grade. I started working at a gas station in seventh grade. Pretty much, you know, yeah, that was like sort of disposable income after I paid for things that I needed to pay for. And that extra money, it was like, well, I'm going to buy CDs. (laughs) Sure. So I had all this extra money to buy albums. And yeah, soundtracks were an easy way to find collections of artists that I liked a lot. One thing that I've talked about too is one of the things that I like about soundtracks also is Tupac. Like I said, you can find like those songs elsewhere now, but like uh, on the same soundtrack, Sunset Park, there's a Mob Deep song on there. And Mob Deep were one of those, they had a very short window of like being in their prime. Mm-hmm. There's a Mob, there's a couple Mob Deep songs on soundtracks from that era. And that's the only place you can find those. So uh, to me, it was a, it was like a, oh, hey, here's this loose, like sort of Lucy mob deep song or some artist that I like song right on this album. So I didn't have a problem paying $16 because 
there was for sure going to be at least a couple more songs that I enjoyed on there. <laughs> yeah, and that was back in the day when you would have a lot of artists that would record a song for a certain movie versus today where it feels like songs are just cherry picked and then put into that movie as they already exist. And that's the that's the thing you don't. I, OK, you talked about now you hear a song in a movie and like you can go to Spotify and check it out. And yes, you're 100 percent right. But one of the things that streaming took away from us is why some artists going to when they're getting paid uh, two cents a month when someone listens to their songs on Spotify. Like, why are they going to sit and record a brand new song <laughs> to put on a soundtrack and spend their time doing that? You know, now it's just, yeah, like you said, they just cherry pick off of albums, which I mean, that's fine. There's a ton of them from the 90s that are like that as well. But yeah, I feel like you found more like, hey, here's a song by somebody that I enjoy that they wrote specifically for this. Yeah, you picked a really tough topic today <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to be doing soundtrack one hit wonders. So top five soundtrack one hit wonders. I kind of went at this a different way, I think, than you did. But as the topic stood when you sent it to me, what uh, what were your parameters that you're looking for? OK, so <laughs> as this progressed and as it got closer, I realized that the way I had phrased it was a little goofy. And like when it, like I, I actually sent you a message like <laughs> did I pick something to because I was telling my girlfriend about this and she's like, that's hard. And I was like, shit. <laughs> you might be right. So when I had initially conceived this and this is like and I, I think that our lists are probably going to be sort of similar in how we went at them, I feel like. But what I had initially meant was so there's artists uh, I'll use an example. Then they're not on this list. NGN from the Tales from the Hood soundtrack. The Tales from the Hood soundtrack is phenomenal. And there's a couple, there's like three artists on there that literally the only place they exist is on that soundtrack. Yeah. NGN does not have a song anywhere else. And it's one of those things that's like fascinating to me, like where, what happened to them? And, you know, cause there's the, look, it's not, it's not like they audition. It's not like NGN <laughs> went in and killed an audition to get on the soundtrack. They had to have had some sort of like local release that like got them attention or some sort of record label tie in that. So anyway, that was initially what I had meant. And then I realized like, I'm probably the only person in the world that could name five of those. <laughs> <laughs> so what I, I had assumed that maybe you were going with was like, people who had a hit song and a soundtrack that like got the, and then you know, they, they never really like had anything else off of that. So that's kind of the way I, I kind of went with a combination of what I meant. I get I, is, is what I did with my list here. Most of them other than one are songs that either placed on the charts somewhere, even if it wasn't like gangbusters, they didn't place number one, four out of the five. I did choose one that fell into my original parameter though. I will say that before we go in, there's one that I just, I had to include it because uh, it's a soundtrack that I love and I wanted to try to talk about it at least a little bit on here. So. Wow. That's interesting because I, I think my, most of my list falls into how you first envisioned going in where I do have really most of mine are those people that I really loved on soundtracks and then looked for other stuff later and couldn't find anything. So that's, that's actually really funny that you went a different way and I kind of went with your original kind of theme and uh, your girlfriend was right. It was tough. It was very tough to come up with them. But I had to really dig back into those 90s movies that I loved. I mean, most of mine are from the 90s. I have one from the 2000s. Everything else is from the 90s. 
and um, really go back to those soundtracks that I loved and then looked for like, ooh, that song was great, but I've never seen anything else from that artist and then go do a little bit of research. It was, like you said, a heavy amount of research to, to whittle this list down. And I also found some, it was funny, I, I found some that it's like, well, I've never heard of another song from them, but then you look them up and sure as shit, they did have another hit somewhere. Well, shit, I didn't know that. that well, that's fine. That's fine. Because here's the thing. number. My number one falls into both categories. Nice. <laughs> well, that's, you know, what? that's a beautiful thing about this show is that sometimes you get a, a list topic and we both come at it from different directions. But at the end of the day, we're going to have 10 songs or 10 soundtracks, really, for people to check out. I did not know until we started Cruel Intentions that you were a rap guy. So I'm curious to see if there's any crossovers here. I will say that on my original list, NGN would have been on there. <laughs> that that song that I talked about from Tales from the Hood, that would have been. So uh, that was actually one of the ones that I had headlined up before I altered it after my girlfriend was like, you, you, <laughs> you, you nerd. Like, that's way too much for someone to do who hasn't like studied soundtracks. <laughs> Shit, I'm up for a challenge. I am up for a challenge, my friend. And the only reason I didn't pick a song from Tales in the Hood is because I was trying to get soundtrack songs from movies you haven't covered yet. And I failed a little bit because I do have one song that you did talk about, but I didn't know until after I had like come up with my five list. So this is going to be <laughs> kind of funny. I like that you tried to do things I haven't done. That's awesome. You know, I, I always try to throw a wrinkle in there to make it even harder for myself, whether that's a theme. <laughs> and this is the theme that, that definitely made it a little bit tougher. OK. All right. I'm curious. OK, I'm excited to get to this. You know what's going to happen? Hey, you know what's happening here right now? Hey, you know what's going to happen? No, 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 no. What? You just made the list. Top five soundtrack one hit wonders. You are the music master. So let's go ahead and kick it off with your number five. Hit us with it. All right. My number five is Mr. Grimm's Endo Smoke from Poetic Justice. Now, this was a minor hit. It peaked at like number 56 on the Billboard charts. Um, but here's the thing that I've always said about this. So Grimm actually had two soundtrack songs with John Singleton. Uh, he also had a song on Higher Learning that also was a small hit. But like, I mean, I'm talking very minor. Like it was a very minor hit. Um, but Endo Smoke almost broke big. And the I've said this about this song for years. Had it come out one year later, this song would have been massive, massive. Now, here's the other thing. Had it come out two years later, it probably would have performed about the same as it did originally. And the reason <laughs> I say this is because that song featured Nate Dogg and Warren G. Mm -hmm. And it was released a full year before Regulators had blown up. So to me, I actually to me, I think it's just as good of a song as Regulators. And uh, the thing about it is that Warren G sound, which I mean, Warren G's whole thing was like his own take on G funk, but he had his Warren G had a very distinct sound, but it didn't last very. I mean, his popularity was he was a very he flamed out very fast, you know? Yeah, it was a period of like three years. I, I don't even know if I'd say that far, because I mean, honestly, after regulate, you know, regulate the G funk era came out. Like, I think Take a Look Over Your Shoulder is a good, is like a pretty good album, but like there weren't any, it, it, it was nowhere near as big as 
regulate the G-Funk era was as an album. So that's why I say I think had Endosmoke come out maybe a month after Regulators had gotten big, it would have been huge because you had, you know, Nate Dogg, Warren G on there. Nate Dogg doing his like his his signature sort of chorus. And then it it just it it was just too early when it came out. And it sucks because it's a really awesome song. And Poetic Justice, by the way, has a really good soundtrack. It's one of those songs. And the thing is, Grim Grim almost fits into this list because Grim put one album out like seven years later that no one listened to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he almost falls into my original category because I, I, I don't know anyone who won that album. And I've always wanted to go check it out just to see, hey, maybe this is pretty good. And uh, I've just never gotten around to it. But Endo Smoke is a phenomenal soundtrack song. And I think it was... A, a really great introduction for an artist who never panned out mostly because it was ahead of its time when it came out. That's a great pick. I love that soundtrack. Pete Rock, CL Smooth on there. Of course you got Tupac, the dog pound, but yeah, this, this one does stand out as one that I need to revisit knowing what I know now about Warren G and Nate dog. And it's interesting that released a year later, it might've been a whole different career trajectory for that dude. Yeah. Let's see. I guess for my number five, I'm going to go with the one that you did talk about on your show in, shoot, probably episode two or three when you talked about Garden State. The song is really the only one from an artist who I haven't heard anything else from. And it's a song that I know grew on you as you were talking about your revisit for Garden State. And it's called Winding Road by Bonnie Somerville. Lying ahead. For a long time, I still don't know where it goes, and it's a, a long way home. I've been searching for a long time. Okay, so in my initial version of the list, this song was on there. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> nice. So, um, I've I think I've talked about Garden State a little bit on this show, but it's uh Zach Braff's directorial debut and the music that accompanied the film was all handpicked by him. And he has said afterwards, essentially, he was making kind of like a mix CD based on what he was listening to in his life as he wrote the film. There's people on here like Colin Hay that he's worked with on Scrubs and in other capacities and a lot of music he's worked with before. And the, the whole album actually won a Grammy in 2005. It's a great album. It's one that I own. And I... I you know, revisiting Garden State, it doesn't hold up as much as it used to, but I think the soundtrack still holds up. It's a really great soundtrack. But the last track on that album is a song by Bonnie Somerville. And like I said, when we talked Cruel Intentions on Soundtracker, not typically my style of music, but something about her voice was like, wow, this is actually a really great song. And I wouldn't even be able to pick it out of the movie because it plays, it's like the last song that plays. And of course, the the song Let Go plays right before that. And that's typically what people will remember about the end of that movie. But this is a really, really good song. So I went back and tried to find out what else she had done. And it turns out she's an actress. She's been an actor for many years. She played Mona on Friends. She was Rachel on The O.C. She's been in a ton of things, still acts. I think she's in um, the new Nash Bridges TV show. In a lot of her roles, she does sing and she's been in a lot of bands, but 
she's primarily an actress and she just for some reason made a song for this soundtrack and I thought that was really cool and and it's weird that it's kind of like one of the only things you can find about her aside from like one EP. It's crazy to me that she never outside of that EP, which I still have yet to go back and listen to. I think during the show, I was like, I'm going to check that out. But this, my life is just consumed with listening to soundtracks for episodes <laughs> that I'm recording. Um, it's a it is such a good song. It is such a good song. And like I said, I actually had that in my initial version of this list when I had conceived it the way that before I'm going to yell at my girlfriend for talking me out of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but we would have had a crossover there. Uh, wow. It's a, it's a, it is a great song. And when you, when you, when I said it, okay. So when I first heard that song or when I first heard that soundtrack, I think the problem was it's placed at the very end. So when it got to that, I was just like, don't know this. Don't have to listen to it. Right. And it was going back and listening to it for the show. Uh, you know, I'm obviously going to listen to the whole thing. And that song got over and I was like, fuck, I can't believe I missed this for you know, however many years it had been since that soundtrack had come out. Yep. Um, yeah, but I, I 100% agree with your, and I said it's pretty much as much on the show, uh, with your opinion on both the movie and the soundtrack. I I, <laughs> I don't think the movie deserves the, the, and I didn't like the movie when it came out that much. I remember being like, I don't know, it's fine, I guess. And that's pretty much how I felt about it watching it this last time. But I actually think I liked it a little more than I did then, just because I've had 20 years now of people like or however many years, 15 years, you know, of hearing people beat up on it. Yeah. I don't think it deserves the hate that it gets no, at all. Not at all. Not at all. And it's really a visually interesting movie too. It's just the, the themes of it don't hold up as well as they do knowing what we know about mental health and stuff. Yeah. And uh, there's, there are some problematic parts in that as well that I did was not aware of. There's like very uh, liberal uses of the R word. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that shocked me watching it for the episode because I hadn't watched it since it had come out. And like the thing is, it's getting tossed around by like the girl who's supposed to be like the dream girl. Like she's throwing <laughs> it around. And I'm like, this is really there's the juxtaposition is really strange. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's Jersey for you. <laughs> Sorry, my New Jersey listeners. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> number four on your list. OK, so. When Jason, when we did uh, the Cruel Intentions episode, and I said at the end, I was kind of convinced you were going to go with a certain song. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about disturbing behavior. So here's my disturbing behavior song, and that is The Flies Got You Where I Want You. So here's the thing. It's overshadowed by, as far as that soundtrack goes, Harvey Danger's Flagpole Sitter, which is obviously, it's definitely the better song. But the thing is, <laughs> and you know that <laughs> you have the disturbing behavior soundtrack. But like I said, there's so many people that do not know this. Everyone thinks that Flagpole Sitter was on that soundtrack. Yep. It is not on that soundtrack. They used it in the trailer and they used it in the movie. Even the video had like nods to disturbing behavior in it. But it was not on the soundtrack. And I was going to tell you, because, again, I thought for sure if you were going with the originally conceived version 
or the version that I'm doing, like that I had assumed you were going to go with flagpole said it was going to be on here. And I was going to tell you, like, if it's in your top five, I'll still count it. <laughs> um, I had no idea you had the disturbing behavior soundtrack in the first place. So it like killed me when you mentioned that in, in, uh, at the end of cruel intentions, but, um, got you where I want you is the, it was a minor hit and the flies put a couple of albums out. And actually the album with, I got you where I want you was like a somewhat critically lauded album when it came out. Got You Where I Want You is one of those songs that even despite the, uh, you know, that really shitty white guy rapping towards the end that like they always <laughs> threw in then, I am a, I love that song. I love like that bass line that just drives the whole song and the chorus. And it's just, I, I, I love, I got you where I want you. And I, yeah, that, that's, that's a number four for me. Yeah, this is a, a good choice for this. And I talked about disturbing behavior recently when Kyle Anderson and I talked about top five 90s teen films. This soundtrack and movie is about as 90s as it gets. So if you want a little time capsule, this is a a good place to go. When we were talking about that on your show, I I was looking up the Amazon reviews and almost all the negative reviews are because Harvey Danger was not on there. And if you think about it from the lens of somebody in 1999 trying to buy this soundtrack, you probably just assume that was on there. And for it not to be on there was kind of a kind of a dick move. Right. Well, I I bet you that there's at least one person listening to this who was like angrily Googling whether or not that's true. As I said, it's not on that soundtrack. Like, Oh, the hell it's not on there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's in a great scene in that, in that movie. And it's such a great song too, to have, to not have it on there is just kind of a crime. I know without, okay. So this is another nineties soundtrack thing. The video forgot you where I want you. Didn't really have anything to do with disturbing behavior, but it had Katie Holmes in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I mean, it because kind of, it's like a bunch of kids running off of a cliff like lemmings and Katie Holmes is if I'm remembering it correctly. It's been a minute since I've watched the video, but, uh, you know, they, that was like their tie in. Like, here's Katie Holmes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm a huge fan of Got You Where I Want You. And I just think it's one of those like really great should have been bigger. It was a my like I said, minor hit. Um, but really the flies disappeared right after that. I mean, they had that one album, they put another one out a couple years later and that was about it for them. All right. That's the flies from disturbing behavior. I guess if you're going to go with a nineties teen movie, I'm going to go back to a nineties teen movie here with another one that I talked about on that list with Kyle Anderson. This one is from the American pie soundtrack. The American pie soundtrack had some pretty heavy hitters from the late nineties. Of course you have blink 182 with mutt in that awesome scene. Well, I guess it doesn't hold up as much now, but the music is awesome. Uh, From Blink-182, which is, like I said on that show, one of my favorite bands of all time. But you also had these 90s staples like Third Eye Blind, Dishwalla, those those one-hit wonders, uh, Sugar Ray, (laughs) and uh, there were probably a couple ones. But over the credit, this really interesting ska song plays, and it's called Wishin'. And I remember sitting in the theater thinking that it was the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones because back in the late 90s, they were one of the bigger ska bands and it sounded like them, but it's actually a band called the Loose Nuts. (laughs) Okay, I, I don't know this. The fuck 
excuse me as my vision gets better I don't understand how to understand this matter But I really wish I did and I really wish I knew How to understand you But I see you in a whole new light When I see you in a whole new way It's a pretty good song, it's a pretty good ska song And so I I went through that soundtrack. I'm trying to look up stuff about the Loose Nuts, and I couldn't find a thing. Finally, I found out that they put out an eight-song, 20-minute-long EP called Oh God Help Our Fans with this song Wishing on it. But that was it, and then they disappeared. And I did a little bit more research, and I found out that the lead singer's name is John Gamberling. And he's been acting and voice acting for years now on really big shows. He's been on shows like Big Mouth, American Dad... Key and Peele. He was a main character in Broad City. The dude's like all over the place. So I was, I was pretty excited to find out that he went on to do that after he got out of that band. But if you like ska music, I think it's a pretty good song. It's called uh, Wishing Again by the Loose Nuts. I also looked up the Amazon reviews for the American Pie soundtrack. And for some reason, this one stuck out to me. Somebody just said five stars. I love the American Pie CD. The music was very funny. Amazon reviews are you know that's something I need to start doing on my show is looking at Amazon reviews that's a that's such a gold mine (laughs) as far as that soundtrack goes I actually okay American Pie is not one that I own but I know the songs from the movie um from watching the movie I love the third eye blind song in that movie I'm a huge I'm not I'm very open about the fact that I I love third eye blind (laughs) uh yeah a huge, huge Third Eye Blind fan, but their song on there is fantastic. Obviously, they don't fit into this category at all, but I really like their song on that soundtrack. Yeah, there's a couple on there just like uh, Disturbing Behavior. I think the Bare Naked Ladies is in the movie, but doesn't make the soundtrack, which is kind of a shame. But uh, it's a pretty solid soundtrack and another good 90s time capsule. I don't know Wishing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that one after we get done here. Oh, what are we at? Number three for you, my friend. All right. So. Number three, I'm going to do one, but I'm going to give a special shout out to a second one on the same soundtrack. So I'm doing like a one and a half here. Uh, Afro Puffs by Lady of Rage on Above the Rim. I rock rough and stuff with my Afro Puffs. Rock on what you may say. I rock rough and stuff with my Afro Puffs. Rock on what you may say. I rock on with my bad self because it's a must. But I'm going to give a special shout out to another song under the Above the Rim soundtrack, and that's Blowed Away by B. Rizal. They say it Be Real in the song, but it's spelled B. Rizal. I think that's how he actually pronounced it. <laughs> um, uh, so Above the Rim soundtrack. Here's the thing about the Above the Rim soundtrack, which I, I know I talked about it once already as far as the Tupac thing goes, but. Above the Rim is one of my favorite 90s soundtracks, like bar none. And it was it was released on Interscope, Death Row Records through Interscope Records. So it was a Death Row soundtrack. And these two artists, Afro, uh, Lady of Rage and B. Rizel, are two who really got fucked over by the turmoil that was going on in the label at the time. Sure. So like, think about when Afro Puffs came out. Like, do you, I mean, you're, you're, like you said, you're on my age it seemed like lady of rage was going to be huge. You know what I mean? Like she, it really felt like she, okay, here's, here's the next big thing. And she should have been, but I mean, I think that song Afropuff still holds up really, but that bouncy ass production and she could spit, you know, like Mm -hmm. she Mm -hmm. was good. It holds up really well. But the thing is 
not long after that soundtrack came out, things really started falling apart at death row. Yeah. You know, Dre didn't officially leave until 96, but he pretty much been away from the label for a while. I mean, he hadn't done production uh, uh, all the way back to 1995's Dog Food by the Dog Pound. That, Daz, Daz pretty much produced that whole thing. He just stepped in and did some mixing on it, but he was pretty much done with Death Row already at that point. And it's and it seemed to with I actually listened to an interview with B. Rizal where he talked about like, yeah, he was supposed to have this album. They were going to push it and then Suge fucked everything up. And he he ever actually never put an album out as far as I remember. I don't think he ever actually put an album out. She put one out in uh, like 1998 or something, 97. But it was it was well after Dre was gone. And it was actually Lady Rage's album was the final album Interscope released from Death Row. Yeah, that was I, I thought that was a pretty good album. All produced by Daz, too. Oh, dog pot or dog food? No, no. Uh, the Lady of Rage one. I, I'm pretty sure oh, that Daz produced most of it. Did he produce that? See, I thought by then even he was because, I mean, Death Row was so I, I thought Death Row had even been stripped clean of them because Snoop, I think, was already over with no limit. But you might be right about that. I'm, you probably are right about that. I didn't realize that he had produced that album. I'm pretty sure that Corrupt had left, but Daz was still hanging around. Daz hung around at Death Row for a, like a long time after when it was just a shell of its former self. It, it is funny. I mean, I know that in the end, as far as like the... I'm, okay, I actually... I'm a huge Easy E fan, and I was always Team Easy when the whole like Death Row, Dre, Easy were taking shots at each other. Yeah. Um, but it is fun. I mean, you know, ultimately Dre won that battle, but Easy was fucking right about everything he said as far as Death Row goes. <laughs> like that, that it look what's coming for you. You know what I mean? Like he knew. I mean, he knew the score. He knew exactly what was going to happen there. Oh yeah. He also, I, in my opinion, had the better diss track too. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he didn't. You know, the thing is, he even had a he he won that battle in the liner notes of that album. (laughs) Just that old picture of Drake, even though it falls back into like some uncomfortable 90s sort of, especially as far as that goes, like sort of homophobia. But like, you know, well, how the fuck? Just that picture of like Dre, who's like, you know, uh, you know, Dre had totally changed his image. (laughs) And it was like, no, really, this is where you started. Well, that's a great transition to my number three. You're really teeing me up here with uh, disturbing behavior to American Pie. And we're going to go from above the rim and that death row turmoil to I'm hoping that you're going to accept this pick because it's from a short film. But a short film, in my opinion, still counts as a movie from the short film Murder Was the Case from 1995. This is a song by Sam Sneed called You Better Recognize. I heard Sam was going so low. Hot damn, you didn't know so. Well, I can blast fast or freak a ill type of slow flow. I'm hitting harder than Barry Bonds, so check the golden child. Doing it to your ear hole. Got you going buck wild with truck tracks. Rhymes on deck, breaking off niggas. Proper did dirt, did west, cause I clown coppers. This almost made my list. <laughs> yes. So then a, then you would count it. Then you would count it. This is a film directed by Dr. Dre, and it follows the exploits of Snoop Dogg as a character named Silky Slim as he gets shot, killed, and then he makes a deal with the devil to survive. The devil, by the way, played by Gregory Scott Cummings, who a lot of people would know as Max Dad from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but 
also a great character actor in a lot of 90s films, yep. including uh, Action USA, which is I just recently talked about, which is just so much fun. This is a stacked soundtrack. You look back to just the first two tracks on there, which you got Snoop's Murder Was the Case, and then you got Natural Born Killers by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube. But right smack dab in the middle, you got this song by Sam Sneed called You Better Recognize. And I think if you're a, a hip hop fan in the 90s, you've probably heard You Better Recognize. He was kind of in line to be a Dr. Dre protege. And there's a couple things that happened here that everything fell apart for Sam Sneed. Number one, like you said, Death Row was falling apart. And I think this was a casualty of that. Number two, he comes out with the video for You Better Recognize. And for some reason, in the middle of this East Coast, West Coast stuff, he features a bunch of East Coast artists just in cameos in the video. And I think that that pissed off Suge Knight, who essentially like shelved his album and nothing else ever came of Sam Sneed. Now, he had an album in the works. Um, the, the name, oh, it's what was it called? Street Scholars. His album was called Street Scholars. If you look online, you can find like old rips and leaks of it. There's actually a Street Scholars album that he had released in 2011 that has this song on there, but almost all the rest of the stuff you can tell was produced in 2011, and it just sounds bad. But if you find that rip of the old stuff that was that was produced by people like Dr. Dre, it's actually really pretty good. And uh, I'm I'm pretty surprised that he never did anything after that. And apparently Dre didn't uh, like him enough to bring him over to Aftermath. So Sneed just kind of uh, kind of faded away. I've got some things to say about this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're 100% right about that rip. Because when you were saying that, I'm thinking there are ways to find that. But yeah, you're right. There are ways to find that album. And it is awesome. It is great. Um, Sam, that yes, I 100% count this. Murder was the case's a great soundtrack it yeah. is a, you know i was thinking the other day about what how much it sucks that um we never got that helder skelter album that was supposed to come out dre and ice cube yeah uh, murder was or natural born killers is so good it is such a good song yeah and um b rizel from above the rim that i was talking about has a song on murder was the case as well not nearly as good as blowed away not nearly as good as blowed away uh it's called horny it's it's okay but yeah you better recognize is awesome and it it was it was like a last minute decision that i yanked it off the list for my number two which fits into my original category uh but <laughs> yeah it it is it is yeah great call great pick great pick uh, number two for you, then let's hear what knocked Sam Sneed off. Well, it's <laughs> I, I wanted to put at least one. Here's the thing. Actually, as we're going through this, I feel like we pretty much are on the same page here because like Bonnie Somerville, she had an EP. Sam Sneed technically had something that had come out down the road. So right, they're not right. people, like, completely vanished. My pick is there's a movie from the 1994 called The Fear. It was a. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Not the, I not do the with the wooden one. doll with the yeah. wooden doll. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which just recently <laughs> got a 2K res restoration from Vinegar Syndrome. And I cannot believe of all of the movies in the world. I, I Okay. I have a big soft spot for the fear. I like that movie a lot. I know that it's not a great movie, <laughs> but um, I have a huge soft spot for it. And for years, for years. Okay. So I've owned that movie on VHS 
DVD and I <laughs> I did an, a, a download of it that was supposed to be the uncut version years ago. But, but every one of them was like, okay, the, this movie was so unloved that the DVD was literally somebody recorded it off of television. This was an official <laughs> DVD release. They recorded it off of television. So it's a full frame. You can barely see anything. That's how I've known this movie for years. So coming to this 2K restoration was like a revelation to me and getting to see it because it looks like an actual film. Like it yeah. was shot with real film. <laughs> it wasn't shot on video. You can see it. But here's what got me into the fear. The soundtrack. The reason I even watched that movie in the first place is because of the soundtrack. So a little background on the soundtrack for the fear. Back in the mid 90s, and I know that and I've, I've talked about this on, I think I talked about it in Tales from the Hood. Um, in the mid 90s, I know that now horrorcore has been hijacked by like white dudes in pale contacts, like growl rocking over shitty rap rock beats. <laughs> but yeah. in the 90s, you had there was this interesting little movement going on, like Brother Lynch Hung, Esham, uh, like Detroit had this huge pocket. Memphis had this huge pocket of music that was kind of doing this. And, I, you know, I, I, it's weird to me that that was like kind of scoffed at when like you've got these like shitty black metal artists that write similar lyrics. And it's like, cool, man. Like, <laughs> it's really weird to me that like black artists would do this. And it was like, oh, this is dumb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the Fear soundtrack is this like elite collection of nineties horrorcore stuff. So you've got, you're like Esham, you've got grave diggers, you got flatliners, but the song that I picked from there is half pit and machete. It's called black Peter. The lyrics are whatever it's the lyrics tie into this subplot in the movie that really doesn't go anywhere in the first place. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, this one was not a hit by any means, not right. by any means. But like I said, the fear is one of my favorite 90 soundtracks. So here's the thing. Like I said, you've got Flatliners, Gravediggers, you got Esham, Nottis. Uh, there's an ICP song on there even. Um, and then the other half of the album is this Army of Hell Productions or Army of Hell Records. And it's every one of them are people who appeared on there and that's it. They never, I found out actually from Brad from Vinegar Syndrome and I are buddies on Twitter. He's friends with the producer of the fear. And that guy actually managed all of these. And I was supposed to do the fear for my, one of my Halloween episodes, but it fell through. So I'm doing it this October. Nice. And, um, I'm going to do an interview with the producer. He's like, I can hook you out. He's a great guy. And like, I can find out like, well, what the hell happened to these people? So, uh, <laughs> army from hell stuff. They just like, that was this soundtrack and they never appeared anywhere else. And the thing that sucks about it is the production on all of these songs is very lush and very unique and very cool. And it, particularly on this song. Now I half pit half pit did another track on that soundtrack with a rapper named half dead called better off dead. That's also awesome. I could seriously put like six songs from the soundtrack in place of this, but this is my favorite one. Is it Lil Half Dead from the West Coast? No, it's not. It's a different okay. one. I know, because right. I thought the same thing when I got the soundtrack. I was like, oh, it's Lil Half Dead. No, it's a different It's a different one. So they have a little EP that they put out together. That's the only other thing you can find from that. I had to dig for that fucker, too. Like, I mean, <laughs> I had to 
dig for that EP. I had to go to some like really janky websites to find it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then as far as Machete goes, he had one more song on the soundtrack. And then there's another one on the in the movie that's not on the soundtrack. So there's at least two more. So- one more song floating around by him out there that's not on the soundtrack. But it's almost impossible to find anything about him. From what I found, there are rumors that he's basically a ghostwriter for guys like Snow and other rappers who use like reggae influence. Hmm. Um, but anyway, Black Peter has this really unique production. And like the both are like the one sort of got this reggae influence and the other one's just like sort of a straight up like East Coast hardcore rap sound to his delivery. And it's just an awesome song. And honestly, this is like a pitch for the whole soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack. Um, one more little nerdy aside as far as this goes. Uh, I said Flatliners are on there. When I'm talking about how like there was a time where horrorcore was like this thing that was sort of. So Flatliners came because one of the guys in Flatliners and they actually had a minor hit, too, with uh, Satanic Verses. Like it was like a small hit, um, but they were on Def Jam. One of the guys in Flatliners was Jam Master J's nephew. And Jam Master J saw this like, well, in the Midwest, there's this like sort of new thing going on. And Russell Simmons thought the whole thing was really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But he agreed, okay, well, let's put an album out and see how it does. They had this at one time, they had this intention to do like action figures for the Flatliners. And like, what? Yes, they had this big push and then the album didn't do anything. So one of the other tracks on that soundtrack is by a band called the a group called the Headless Horsemen. Headless Horsemen were buddies with the Flatliners guys, and they were supposed to get their own album. And then when that all fell apart, they didn't. And about 10 years ago, they leaked all of not leaked, I guess, but they released this EP of stuff that was supposed to go on their album on MySpace. So you can find it all over the you can find it now. It's not a hard one to track down. And it's an awesome EP. And it's one of those that like, when I listen to it now, I'm like, it sucks to think what could have been had like Flatliners not fallen apart and they had gotten a chance to put this out. So like I said, as far as my initial parameters for this list goes, I could list like pretty much that entire soundtrack outside of like the established artists. And it would have worked because it's a really awesome soundtrack full of people who never did anything outside of that album. It's a movie with a really interesting premise. I reviewed it maybe a year ago and I didn't love the movie, but it does have some really cool ideas about going into the woods and trying to face your fears along with this fucking creepy ass wooden doll named Morty. Yeah. And the makeup effects, it's uh John Carl. I can't think of his name. John Carl uh, Buchler, I think that did the makeup effects guy. He directed um, Friday the 13th, seven uh, longtime horror veteran. He did the Morty effects. Um, so that's why it looks as good as it does. Cause yeah, Morty's creepy as shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I watched it with one of my friends. We, it was like years after it had come out, we were on psychedelics. <laughs> oh, that would be a, a nightmare. We went to the video store and I had seen the fear before. And I was like, let's grab this. And he had never seen it. And it got to the scene where one of the guys turns his head around to face the camera. And he's like, turn this off right now. Turn this off right now. <laughs> Shit, I was saying that to myself and I was not on psychedelics. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong about that movie. Like I understand the flaws that it has, but it is like you said, it's 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 interesting ideas that don't quite come together the way the screenwriter wanted them to. But I'll always give it credit for being unique in the sea of like those early 90s like slasher hangover movies. Yeah. Like, 
it easily could have just devolved into a slasher. Like this thing goes around killing people, but like it's using their fears against them. So sure. yeah, but it's definitely very flawed. <laughs> Angie, you get the uh, typical white guy with dreadlocks in there too, which is a yeah. fun bonus. <laughs> Who is actually another sturdy character actor. He's been in a whole bunch of shit too. You probably would know him from a bunch of things if you looked him up. Uh, my number two is probably the most popular movie on my list. Yeah, I'm going to save my most obscure artist, I think, for number one. So my number two here is from The Breakfast Club. Now, I know when you think of The Breakfast Club, Simple Minds is probably the song that you're going to think of. But there's a dancing montage scene in which our characters are in the cafeteria, they get high. And during this scene... Brian goes to this record player, they have a record player in the library, and he tosses on a record by Carla DeVito called We Are Not Alone. great song it's a really memorable scene because in the movie it's really the first time that we see them all kind of having some fun together because as fun as the breakfast club might seem it's kind of a downer movie for like 75 percent of it and they toss this on and they're finally allowed to kind of let loose we have this montage where they're all kind of having fun together dancing through the library you see bender running through the halls smacking lockers and shit carlo devito i i looked it up she had two studio albums not much came out of those studio albums. She did some like side vocal work for Blue, Blue Oyster Cult. She's done some stuff with Meatloaf, but her solo albums really didn't do much. And I thought that was kind of interesting because the song is pretty good in terms of late 80s, um, just really upbeat music. But uh, yeah, never went anywhere. That's uh, Carla DeVito. Are you a fan of this song or uh, the... The movie itself. Okay, I love The Breakfast Club, and I know the scene you're talking about, but I can't think of the song over it. And I don't have the soundtrack <laughs> for The Breakfast Club. Like you, like you said, as soon as you said Breakfast Club, first thing that popped into my head was Don't You Forget About Me. You know, yeah. like that, that was immediately what popped into my head. Because, yeah, that's a soundtrack that I do not own. Um, well, because, I mean, you know, when that came out, I was like five or something. So. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Why would you? <laughs> Right. So, no, I'm not familiar with that song. Yeah, You just stumped me here. After this is over, you're probably going to go and YouTube it. And it's weird because the the scene is like five minutes long, but that song doesn't happen until like halfway through. And once it starts up, you'll remember it. But it's it's weird that she never had anything else come out after that. Eric Peacock from Soundtracker. What's your number one on top five one hit wonders on soundtracks. Okay, so this song is actually, if I had to pick the one that made me do the show that I'm doing, it's this song. And I'll get into the story as to why. But um, the song is Isaac to Isaac Old School from the show soundtrack. 100% method woman. Stare at my kids and I recollect Mama used 
that so the show is a little scene like it's a documentary on 90s hip hop. Um and the soundtrack is incredible. You got Biggie, Bone, uh I mean it is a it is an awesome Tupac's on there. It is a phenomenal soundtrack. I don't you are you familiar with the show soundtrack? Yeah, I listened to the show soundtrack. I never owned it, but I know it was like a Russell Simmons thing. Yep. Yep. Um but this song to me is the highlight. It's like I okay, I love 90s R&B. And this is a perfect it's my favorite 90s R&B song. It is a perfect 90s R&B song. It, it sort of hits that area between like rap and R&B, but it's way more in the R&B camp. And it has this killer Isley Brothers sample as a backdrop. Uh, the song is Groove With You, Isley Brothers. Um, it was a minor hit. It had a video and everything. But it should have been way bigger, and I don't understand why it wasn't. And these two should have been way bigger. Here's the thing. They never released an album. So they, they are another one that falls in. They were a minor hit, but they also never put anything out outside of this soundtrack. Literally nothing, okay? And I'm not kidding when I say... Every year since the internet was invented <laughs> or like, was readily available, I would Google these guys to see if there was anything. And like that literally continued until about a year ago, not even a year ago, beginning of the year. I get on YouTube and I Google Isaac. It was just one of those times where I'm going to see if anything, <laughs> somebody uploaded their album. Wow. Okay. But here's the thing. They only uploaded about 30 seconds of each song. Oh, those dicks. So I sent this guy an email and I was like, hey, how, how did you get a hold of this? And I get an email back. It's like, it cost me a thousand dollars. Do you really want to pay that for it? And I was like, fuck you. I'm not paying you a thousand dollars for someone else's work. And I'm not kidding when I say that was like, I'm like, look, if I could make this show grow, I, don't, I probably wouldn't even have to make it grow to a huge point to get Isaac to Isaac on to get an interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if I could get it to a point where realistically, what I would love is that album exists for whatever reason, it never got released. I'm sure it's some sort of dumb label dispute. You know what I mean? Like it got right. shelved. We're talking 25 years later. There's no way that they couldn't like put that up on Bandcamp or something at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. But why should some dick who put it on youtube in 20 second snippets make a thousand dollars for their work you know what i mean yeah that they probably stole absolutely so like and the thing is there are a lot of albums like this i'm sure just i have the people that, that made this list probably have albums like that. i'm sure that like the people on the fear soundtrack probably have more music recorded somewhere that just never saw the light of day or ngn from uh Tales from the Hood. Yeah, there's no way that there's not something else that they have out there. They're just working at like Home Depot now and they don't care. <laughs> yes, exactly. And probably not aware that they could pop. I mean, I don't know how much they could make, but they could put it up on Bandcamp and make something. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. somebody would buy it. Um, but anyway, Old School by Isaac to Isaac is one of my favorite songs of the 90s. It's one of my favorite songs on any soundtrack. It's one of my favorite, probably my favorite 90s R&B song. And it is by somebody who, and like I said, there was a video for it. They have a music video and everything. Um, just nothing else ever came ever after that. And it sucks because it, I, and I don't know if you remember that song from the soundtrack or not. I don't. And I have to go back. I'm, I'm looking at the soundtrack list right now and it's got a 
God, there's like so many great artists on here. It's, you know, we were talking about Warren G. It's got uh, Summertime in the LBC by the Dove Shack, which I'm pretty yes. sure he uh, produced. Yes, yes, that is on there. I was trying to think of all the tracks on it because um, the Bone song on there is awesome. It's awesome. Uh, I, I'm honestly, when you said you're, I, I kind of thought for a minute, maybe you were going to know this one when I got to it, just being like a rap because, but I, I forget that like the show soundtrack wasn't like that huge. The movie wasn't that huge, but like, it was one that I like loved. I've only seen the movie once, but yeah, soundtrack I wore out when I was in high school. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. We got Tupac, Onyx, Slick Rick, Method Man and Red Man, Dre, B.I.G., like you said. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's stacked. Tribe yeah. Called Quest. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, don't get too excited because a couple of them are just clips from the movie where it's the people talking and not actual songs. So yeah, yeah, I see like have songs. Yeah, it's just, but for the most part, the Onyx song is awesome. Yeah, it's a great soundtrack. Again, you tee me up perfectly for my grand finale here with more hip hop. This is uh, a from a movie that I have not talked about on this show for some reason. And if I ever do like top five movies featuring rappers, this is going to be in here. But it's from Gang Related. Mm. Gang Re- and, and this is one that I know at some point you're going to cover on your show because I'm sure that you are familiar with the Gang Related soundtrack. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so if you've never seen, heard of Gang Related, it's from 1997. It's about these two crooked cops played by Tupac and Jim Belushi. And they killed some guy and then they try to pin the murder on a homeless guy. And then, of course, it's a movie. So the whole plan goes out of whack. And then the second half of the film, Tupac starts wearing ridiculously enormous suits. But <laughs> it was like the, the final film in Tupac's career. And it was released about a year after his death. Now, the movie's release was kind of bungled because at the time they released it, obviously it's called Gang Related, and L.A. being one of the biggest movie premiere cities had a gang-related shooting at a movie theater like the weekend before this release. So that just destroyed it. It didn't do anything, but it's become kind of like a cult classic. But the soundtrack was extremely popular because, like I said, it was really bringing out Tupac music when we had had a year without anything because he had died. This was everywhere. It was number two on the Billboard 200 charts. It was uh, certified double platinum, like, again, everywhere. And back in those days, at least when I was buying CDs, you know, you're, you're going to the store, there are 16, 17 bucks, and I'm using birthday money held over because I don't have a job yet. It's like, you know what, sometimes I'm going to look at the names on the front and I'm going to go quantity over quality here. And this had two discs, 24 tracks, tons of artists like Tupac, Ice Cube, Snoop, Daz. It was just a stacked soundtrack. It's going to be one of my favorite hip hop songs of all time with Hollywood Bank Robbery, which I think is just a, a really great storytelling track. And you go down the list of all these amazing artists, Nate Dogg, Daz, um, who else you got all from the I Mac 10, like all these really great West coast artists. And then you stop at a song called freak something by an artist simply named Roland. <laughs> now this song is a good song. It's a really good song. And he's, his cadence actually reminds me of DJ quick. This weekend, 
skin If you ain't with it, don't bother speaking Niggas still falling in Even though it's full dog Wouldn't get these hoes up off me if I So I'm preparing for this list And I get, I'm working at a computer all day So I got soundtracks going in the background to prepare And I hear this song come up Because I'm just listening to the gang-related soundtrack on, on YouTube And I'm like, this this sounds kind of interesting Like, this is DJ Quick And I looked over Roland <laughs> Roland of course I can't find out anything else about this dude so I look it up on like Google Music nope it's got the artist listed as Roland Van Kampenhoot a 1950s Belgian blues musician I'm like okay that's obviously incorrect I can't find out a fucking thing about this artist Roland he has no other songs as far as I can tell he's never put out anything else but he was on this soundtrack with all these amazing West Coast artists. And it's truly baffling to me that it's a pretty good song. And it just kind of like disappeared. He just disappeared or he went to a different name or something. I don't know what happened to him. Are you familiar? You've, you've got to be familiar with the soundtrack. I am. And here's the thing. As you were saying, OK, as you were talking about this, I will tell you the best place. If if there's ever a time that it- <laughs> Another guest comes on and wants to do top five <laughs> soundtrack one hit wonders. <laughs> you need this tool. Do you ever check Discogs? Yeah, I have before. I have before. I did not for this album. Okay, so as you were talking about this, I was pulling the soundtrack up on Discogs because there it's a very it's a, actually a pretty handy website for me as far as this goes. The only thing they have listed he is this guy's a mystery. This is a good one. This is a, I didn't read because I know this song. I didn't realize that he was that there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more to this because all that shows up for him under Discogs, when you click his name, it all it says is freak something as Roland. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the only thing they have is the gang related soundtrack. That is it. Gang related is a great soundtrack, though, just to speak on this gang. I think it's a little there's 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 a it could have probably been trimmed a little not the one disc i don't think but i do feel like there's a little much on there for the two discs like you said more bang for your buck but i do think there is a handful of songs that i would call filler oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. no doubt but it's a great soundtrack i was that's one that when i started this because again you said more bang for your buck i would listen to that while i was at the gym because i could like get through a whole workout and not finish the whole thing you know what i mean so i had <laughs> i had gang related on my ipod for a very long time. Oh, yeah. For people who don't listen to Soundtracker, I do all my listening on an iPod just because it feels like the right thing to do when I'd listen to these soundtracks. Of course. Um, of course. But yeah, I I had actually, wow, right at the beginning of the year, gone through a big gang related phase. And yes, this song, I'm, I'm going to back up what Jason's saying here. I almost I almost said I'm going to back up what Roland is saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the twist. I'm Roland. <laughs> this is my coming out party. <laughs> juicy Kleberg. <laughs> yes yes that's what i was known as in high school <laughs> and that's a great that is a great pick that is honestly i'm very impressed i am super impressed with that pick oh uh, you know what i almost picked so i i did a little research on this because like i said hollywood bank robbery i love it and it's officially listed as performed by The Gang. And it took me a while to figure out that The Gang is literally just the name. And they only used it, as far as I know, on this song. It's the the duo of Daz and Trey D from Eastsiders. And for some oh. reason, they just came together on this track as The Gang. I have no idea why. Considering Corrupt's on there. 
I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. Um, you know, though, I mean, I don't actually, you know what? I almost, I literally, my brain had started to develop a reason that I realized was completely ridiculous and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I don't, it really doesn't make any sense. I almost came up with this like completely fictitious, like Charlie Day in front of the Pepe Silva whiteboard <laughs> thing that like just formed, fully formed in my brain. I mean, I've tried to come up with reasons for it, too, but both those guys, Daz and Trey, are on the first song and they're not listed as the gang. So I have no idea why they did it on that one track. It's so weird. Real quick, uh, any honorable mentions that you want to throw out there that almost made your list, but uh, ultimately didn't make the cut? Well, OK, OK. I'd have to go back to the original list that I had, but I know that I had NGN on there. The Grave from Tales from the Hood. Yeah. Um. God, what were the other ones that I had had? See, you know what's funny, though? I feel like our lists ended up being extremely similar. And they did. Like, yeah, they did. But the way we tackled them. So that's funny. We both coming into it. It was like, well, the, we did these differently, but they ended up being <laughs> like we ended up doing them pretty much the same way. Um, God damn it. There was NGN. You know what? I think originally I was going to go with B. I, you know, I remember now I was going to go with that B. Rizal blowed away from above the rim. Before I decided, well, you know what? I got Afro Puffs right there, and that counts in the like one hit wonder that didn't really do much. So that Birazel was going to replace Lady of Rage. That's why I gave him an honorable mention during the Lady of Rage song. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, I only really had two that I thought about tossing on here and then ultimately didn't. Kenya Groove, Top of the World from Menace to Society. I really wanted to put a Menace to Society song on here, but it just didn't make the cut. And um, the Rob Dugan song from The Matrix, it's called Club to Death. And I don't think I've ever heard anything else from him, but it's it's the song that tees up like Neo realizing what The Matrix is as uh, Morpheus walks him through the crowd and he looks at the red woman. It's a great song, but uh, I've never heard anything else from that guy. So that almost made my list. I appreciate you doing the work for this and like really coming with it because this was, this was a lot of fun to like sit and talk about these. Hell yeah, man. I, I was ready to dive right in with whatever anybody throws at me. Um, obviously if you want to hear more about soundtracks, head to Soundtracker wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this, you're going to find Soundtracker. Uh, go check out my episode with, with you on cruel intentions. We just recorded it. It's great. Uh, what else, where else can people go to find more of your work? Where can they follow you on social media? Well, okay. First of all, I do want to say that I actually am launching a new podcast next week and it's called the force, the force six podcast where I have, <laughs> <laughs> I have people give me a list and then I do six things and <laughs> uh, no. early reviews say that it's one better than this show. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So uh, if you want to find me, for some reason you listen to this and you're like, I want to hear more of what this guy has to say. Um, I'm on Twitter. My main account is, and I hate saying it out loud, but it's Uwe Bullocks. Uh, <laughs> it's U-W-E-B-O-L-L-O-C-K-S. That's my main account. And if you want to follow along with the podcast, it's Soundtracker with an underscore at the end. So S-O-U-N-D-T-R-A. C-K-E-R with an underscore at the end, in case one of you doesn't know how to spell Soundtracker, but <laughs> so I don't know why I spelled that one out. Um, 
And then I, I, I'm on Instagram under the same name as Twitter, but I really don't use Instagram for anything other than like promoting the podcast at this point. I'm really very much a ghost on social media. Um, I probably should try to develop more of a presence, but I don't really do much as far as Instagram goes. So those are the two places that if you're looking would be the easiest places to find me because I'm on I'm on Twitter a lot. Cool. And you'll find links to those in the show notes. So please go and follow Eric. The show's fantastic. And you can learn a lot about soundtracks from an an early 90s or early, yeah, you know, the 2000s, the 90s, that culture that has kind of gone by the wayside. So go check that out. Eric, fantastic list. I'm so glad that we didn't have any crossover. And we got 10 plus songs for people to go check out now. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got two that I'm checking out as soon as we get off of here. Hey, I know this was a tough topic, but if you had a soundtrack one-hit wonder that we didn't talk about, let us know on social media, at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, and your comment might make the show. Again, if you liked what you heard, I beg for this every week, but I'm serious. Tell your friends about the show, get the word out about Force5, and please rate and review my show on iTunes or now Spotify. It is one of the best things that you can do for me, and it costs you nothing. A couple seconds of your time. So go do that. That's uh, that's not an ask. That's an order. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go listen to my episode of Soundtracker on Cruel Intentions. 